Liberalism is back in style. Welcome to the evolution. Turns out there is a chance that trying to violently overthrow our democracy might be illegal. To paraphrase an idiot and his bloodthirsty mob, lock him up. I'm back, bitches! What if you knew Fox News was just lying to you? How could you watch when you know? He was voted Variety Entertainer of the Year in the Excellence in the Arts Awards and is one of the highest arbitrage now Nielsen-rated talk radio hosts in Las Vegas. He is also a refreshing voice of logic and reason. Live from the entertainment capital of the world, Doug Basham. I know words, I have the best words. I love the poorly educated. Right under the toilet. And good morning, my fellow wokes and Republican jokes. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Doug Basham, and welcome to the Doug Basham Show right here on KSHP in Las Vegas and on social media and to a genuine demonstration of excellence in broadcasting. The website is DougBasham.com, last name spelled B as in bravado, A-S-H-A-M as in Marilardo, mega, DougBasham.com, my email, Doug at DougBasham.com. When you get to my website, you know what to do. You will find links to every site associated with this show, in particular, links to all my social media sites, Facebook, Twitter. YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, TikTok, OnlyFans, on four of which we broadcast this show live and archive the shows. Two things I want you to do if you don't know by now. On my website, click on the YouTube link. Once there, click on the link that says live. That's where you can either watch the show live or view the archive shows. But most importantly, click on the subscribe link. Second, also on my website, click on the TikTok link once there. Click on the follow link. 221-7283 is our call-in number here at the station, folks. If you'd like to talk on the radio soon, as in whenever, that's 702-221-SAVE, as in save our democracy, our ultimate and only goal in each and every show we do, lock him up. Quick programming note of sorts, folks. I'm a little under the weather today. I woke up in the middle of the night with food poisoning. I won't bore you with the gross details. If you've had it, you know what it entails. You know how it That's it. That was the longest flush. It's not done. <laughs> gotta get a, you gotta get one of those water saving toilets. That one went on for hours. Anyhow, you know what it does to you. You know how draining it is. I actually wasn't going to come in, but I was thinking of taking tomorrow off anyway. 
because I have an extremely important speaking engagement to which I've been invited, which could well portend for the future of this show. So I'm going to struggle through today, hopefully without having to run down the hall to the bathroom while Justin plays another inappropriate soundbite. <laughs> and I'm sure he has many. So That's terrible. <laughs> horrible. As Donald Trump would say, horrible, horrible. What a cuck. What a cuck. By the way, before we get rolling here, anybody see what Carrie Lake posted yesterday on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11? Seriously. I'll read it to you and then I'll show it to you. Quote, 22 years ago, these two men were among the many heroes that emerged in the aftermath of 9-11. Today, they are being arrested and politically persecuted for questioning corruption in our government. And then she has pictures of these two, uh, quote-unquote, heroes. One of them is Rudy Giuliani. Fair. At that point, at that time, he was America's mayor. We didn't know he would eventually become America's betrayer. But at that point, Rudy stepped up and basically did his job. The other person in the picture, Donald friggin' Trump. Two men emerged as heroes after 9-11. How in the holy hell can you make that kind of a statement? Why? Because he said he saw people jumping to their deaths when he didn't? When he said he saw people Thousands of Muslims cheering when he didn't, when he said he sent a crew of a hundred down to help when he didn't, when he said he sent food and water when he didn't, when he said he now had the tallest building in Manhattan, which he did say, that's what makes a hero among today's Trump publicans. I mean, there is lying and then there's gaslighting. Lying is lying. We all know the definition. Gaslighting is when you lie to the extent that the people to whom you are lying start to question what they know to be the truth. This, this, saying Donald Trump was one of the heroes that emerged in the aftermath of 9-11, that's got to go beyond both lying and gaslighting. I don't know what it is. I don't know if the term has even been defined or invented yet. But to say Donald Trump, <laughs> man, a hero in the aftermath of 9-11. It's almost like, I mean, we know what these people are doing. They're trying to cozy up to him, hoping to be his vice presidential pick. But why would they, when they know he's been indicted four times on 91 counts, and that he's the most hated person in America? Yes, his base loves him, but they're hardly enough to give him a victory. What I think, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. They're cozying up to him to be his vice president, not because they think he's going to win, but because they know he'll refuse to lose. And as much as he gummed up the works back in 2020, he's had a few years to work on it, to hone his election-stealing craft. So like I said a few days ago, might have been last week, two weeks ago, who knows? After a while, they all run together. I said, we... Liberal Democrats aren't afraid of Trump winning. We're more afraid of him losing because we saw what happened last time he lost. And it wasn't pretty. Second little thing before we get rolling here. For you NFL football fans, you all know about the trade 
the Green Bay Packers made with the New York Jets, sending their longtime quarterback Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Well, first game was last night against the Buffalo Bills. Aaron Rodgers gets out there and face plants and basically has to be hauled off the field, taken in a cart to the dressing room, and apparently is done for the season. Well, look at what this Trump humper posted. I mean, breaking news. It's on a website called, what is it, Trump History 45. Quote, Donald Trump has volunteered to play as a stand-in quarterback for the New York Jets (laughs) as Aaron Rodgers has been pulled from the game due to injury. And look at the picture. Trump's face photoshopped on top of a New York Jets player Ball in hand, running fiercely without a helmet. What is wrong with these people? This image they have of this grotesque, fat, obese pig and slob. Look at this picture. You folks on radio will have to imagine. Imagine a fit and trim NFL caliber player with Donald Trump's head on top. That's what this picture. These people are sick. And then I went to this guy's site, Trump History 45, because I wanted to see, is this satire? I mean, he can't really be that deep inside the rabbit hole, can he? So I went to this guy's site, Trump History 45. Here's, a, here's another one he had. Dated August 21st, doesn't say what year. SEAL Team Trump enters Osama bin Laden's compound in the Pakistani city city of Abbottabad. And there's Trump with his military weapon. I mean, come on, this has to be satire, right? I mean, nobody, nobody can, although you look at Carrie Lake calling him a hero that emerged in the aftermath of 9-11, and she's a big name. So I don't know if this guy is satire or not. If it's satire, well done, sir. But maybe you should make that clear because there's a lot of people that are inside that rabbit hole who are going to take it seriously. I mean, some of the, look at the cards, the, the Trump's, the playing cards Trump sold of himself where he was Rocky or an astronaut. I mean, I don't know. That's one thing Donald Trump has done magnificently. Blurred, almost obliterated the line between reality and pure out friggin' satire. It's hard to tell the difference anymore. Hey, not bad. I stalled till after 20. (laughs) Sorry, folks. I don't, I don't normally stall and go off on little things like this, but I'm kind of feeling like crap today. So bear with me. We'll get through this. And I love you for your patience. 221, did I mention the number? 221-7283 is our caller number here at the station, folks. If you want to talk soon, that's 702-221-SAVE. Further to yesterday's show, while we're on the topic of 9-11, one listener called in at the end of the show and brought up that fateful day. Yesterday, of course, being its 22nd anniversary. I explained why I chose to not do a 9-11 memoriam show. And I said this. And you know why I didn't even mention 9-11? I mean, it's been, what, 22 years? The yeah. number of 9-11 shows I have done, I could have just called it in. I have, like, so many yeah. 9-11 shows that I've already prepared and performed. It's like, 
well, am I going to do that or do something different? And I thought, you know what? I'll do something different this 9-11. Because yeah, I, think no, country, right. I think what we're facing now presents a much greater existential threat to our democracy and our nation than anything that happened on 9-11. 9-11 was right. from without. What's happening today is from within. The caller is inside the house, and he's in the back seat of the car. I meant to say and didn't realize till I heard it again, the call is coming from within the house and the enemy is in the back seat. See, I kind of fused two movies together there rather well, I thought. Anyway, further to yesterday's show, after that call, I go home after the show. I turn on my gal, Nicole Wallace, who I just love with a passion hotter than the heat of a thousand suns. She's not just drop-dead gorgeous. She is one of the better interviewers on cable news. The questions she asks are so nuanced and in-depth, I'm blown away by her intellect. Anyhow, I turn on my gal, Nicole, yesterday, and guess what? She essentially did the same thing I did. She mentioned 9-11, but then she brought it back to present day times. Hi there, everyone. It's 4 o'clock in New York on a day that is one of somber reflection in our country, as it has been for the last 22 years. Memorials today in New York, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C., and all across the country. And later in the hour in Alaska, where President Joe Biden just touched down, he'll be making remarks at a September 11th remembrance at a military base in Anchorage. We'll bring those remarks to you as soon as they get underway. The memorials today are also a reminder of the moment of national unity that took place in the aftermath of the brutal September 11th attacks. And if the attacks revealed humanity's capacity for pure evil, people's ability to inflict almost unspeakable horrors on other humans, what happens after 9-11 revealed the best of humanity. Who will ever forget the harrowing images of the all-hands-on-deck rescue effort at the site of the attacks and the national effort to support first responders and victims and all their families and the pledge to never forget. The attacks also fundamentally changed Washington, D.C. for a moment. Officials of both parties, along with former officials of both parties who were in public office at the time of the attacks, attended the events today to mark that. It is an echo of how Americans were, for a while, able to set aside all differences, political and otherwise. And that's the question we ask today, 22 years later. Are we still that country? Can we still do that? Are we capable of that kind of national unity? And then Nicole said the exact same thing you heard me tell the caller yesterday, namely that today the threat comes from within. 22 years later, our republic faces something it didn't have to deal with back then, a grave threat that comes from right here, from within. According to government officials of both political parties, the gravest threat to our homeland right now today does not come from abroad anymore. And she's absolutely right. Officials in both parties agree that our biggest threat comes from within. Here's Trump-appointed FBI Director Christopher Wray from back in September of 2021. Since the spring of 2020... So the past 16, 18 months or so, we've more than doubled our domestic terrorism caseload from about 1,000 to around 2,700 investigations. And we've surged personnel to match, more than doubling the number of people working that threat 
from a year before. And here's current Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, in November of just last year. Secretary Mayorkas, last year you said that, quote, domestic violent extremism poses the most lethal and persistent terrorism-related threat to our country today. Is that still true? Uh, Mr. Chairman, that continues uh, to be uh, our assessment in the Department of Homeland Security, that domestic violent extremism, uh, particularly through um, lone actors or small uh, groups uh, loosely affiliated, um, are spurred to violence uh, by uh, ideologies of hate, uh, anti-government sentiments, personal grievances, and other narratives propagated on online platforms. Now, going back to my gal, Nicole, she then made a somewhat general statement with regards to this new threat of violence this nation now faces. The gravest threat to our homeland right now today does not come from abroad anymore. It is instead domestic violent extremism, and these officials tell us it is on the rise. FBI Director Christopher Wray, appointed by Donald Trump, last year called political violence a, quote, 365-day phenomenon. Nicole then proceeded to lay the blame squarely where it belongs. And whereas I directed my comments towards Donald Trump, Nicole directed hers towards Trump's brain-dead mega-cult base in the form of domestic terrorism from white nationalists. So how do Americans contend with this threat today in this country? How do we grapple with the fact that the threats we face, the threats to our homeland, could come from someone living right next door, from our fellow Americans? Making the situation even more complicated for all of us is the fact that our politics are now intertwined with the threat, the free flow of violent and dangerous rhetoric from one side of the political spectrum means that the possibility that that rhetoric could proceed or lead to a sudden burst of violence looms over us at every moment. Yep, this is not a both sides issue. The threat of political domestic terrorism is coming from one side and one side only. And not from the entire party, but rather from the extreme fringe of the party, which sadly swallows up more of the mainstream of the party each and every day. I read you the results of a poll a couple weeks or so ago from the University of Chicago's Project on Security and Threats, whereby 13 million Americans said they believed that violence would be justified in order to reinstate Trump to the presidency. Did you get that? 13 million Americans believed violence would be justified in order to reinstate Trump to the presidency. And get this, their viewpoint did not change when the caveat was added that such an action would result in some people being killed. They didn't care. Still okay. Violence is justified in order to return the great one to the presidency. Sick Twisted, demented, deranged, unhinged bastards. Add to that, in one of the right-wing propaganda hate media sites I frequent, the Western Journal, no matter what the topic, 
these Trump-humping dead-enders who comment on those sites, the ones I fight with far more than I should, the old lipstick on a pig adage, these guys always find a way to insert not just violence into their comments, but constant talk about civil war. And it's funny that Nicole mentioned somebody next door could be the enemy. I told you about the one guy I was fighting with on the Western Journal, and he was threatening civil war. And I asked him how exactly he saw this civil war playing out. Would they go door to door and ask people who they voted for? And if it wasn't Trump, what are they going to do? Shoot him? And the one guy's response to me was, there'll be no need to go door to door. When President Trump is back in the White House, he'll take care of all you commie liberal traitors. So again, this is not a both sides issue. It's coming from one side of the political aisle, and that's the right side. And it also shows you the mindset of these dead-end Trump humpers. They don't care about policy. They don't care about legislation. They don't care if they're broke and their party gives tax cuts to the rich. They don't care. As long as the people they hate are dealt with, they don't care in what manner. They don't care what laws have to be broken. They don't care if the Constitution has to be ignored. Just do it. Get revenge for what we have allowed ourselves to be brainwashed into believing is our nation's biggest threat, when in reality, we are. Moving on, Mary McCord, former Assistant Attorney General for National Security at the Department of Justice, she narrowed it down a little more. The attacks here in recent years, and there's a significant uptick that's been documented, um, tend to be not so much on our mass transportation or intended to inflict mass casualties when they're committed by domestic extremists, are done oftentimes to create chaos, to um, deepen societal divides by trying to suggest to Americans that their government can't protect things, basic things like their power grid, um, and oftentimes used by accelerationists to try to literally accelerate toward societal collapse so that they, in their minds, this means they could, what could emerge from that would be a white supremacist state, a white nationalist, uh, Christian nationalist country. This threat could come just from anyone domestically who has bought into disinformation, who is, you know, becoming more of an adherent to this idea of white Christian nationalism because they feel perhaps like they've got something that they're losing as we become a multicultural country. Um, and they want, they don't want to lose something. And one way of preventing that in their minds is to engage in these kind of attacks. So, you know, I, I never imagined, um, on 9-11 that we would be 22 years later talking about this threat at home. Okay, good points. One of my favorites, and you know this, Andrew Weissman, Robert Mueller's lead investigator, furthered the theme of mentioning 9-11, but then bringing it right to the present day. And he mentions one particular precipitous fall from grace in the name of Rudy Giuliani. The attacks here in recent years, and there's a significant uptick that's been documented, um, tend to When you think about sort of the trajectory that you and Mary talked about, uh, you know, I think it is in many ways uh, embodied by Rudy Giuliani. Um, that was the day which was his finest moment, and he 
um, was a statesman and pulled the country together, not just the city. Um, and when you see sort of what has happened to him, it is very much an embodiment of a real fissure, uh, and in many ways, just sort of an insanity that has gripped our country. And, you know, one way in which I think people are combating this is not just the Department of Justice, where you see many people held to account um, for engaging in domestic terrorism as they, as they should be. But I also think when you see an image of Joe Biden visiting uh, a memorial for John McCain uh, from a different party and being able to be an American and human and decent first, um, that models the behavior that you want to see from a president, regardless of, of politics. And I, I think... Um, unfortunately, I think that the tools we have are not ones where you look just to the criminal justice system. I, I think that the intelligence community and the criminal justice system are capable of dealing with this. It does pose unique challenges because of the domestic context, as you noted, and because of lone wolves. But I think that because it's a deeper problem that it really has to be addressed in terms of modeling behavior and values that we need to instill in people because we really are very, very lost from where we were 22 years ago. Okay, now I loves me some Andrew Weissman. I, I really do. He's one of the most informed, intelligent, articulate pundits on cable television. But I got a couple comments, if I may. First, for all this unity they're discussing that they say occurred after 9-11, which eventually evaporated when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney lied us into an unnecessary war in Iraq. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Mr. Speaker, members of Congress, Mom and Dad, last month a girl in Lincoln, Rhode Island sent me a letter. It began, Dear George W. Bush. If there's anything you know, please send me a letter. P.S. Kiss my ass. Dick, 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 dick is a killer. I feel free. I feel free. I feel free. I feel free. Dick, 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 dick is a killer. 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 Okay, perhaps a little harsh, but just an example of one song that was floating around at that time. And while this country collectively may have enjoyed a certain period of quote unquote unity, the partisanship was just as nasty. The right blamed the left for 9-11, claiming it was the left's fault that certain, certain agencies couldn't communicate with each other, and the left blamed George W. Bush just because he was stupid. I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing on 9-11. By the way, I'm going to give out the phone numbers now because I'm going to rant here for a couple minutes. 221-7283 is the call-in number. That's area code 702-221-SAVE. I remember where I was, what I was doing on 9-11, as I'm sure most, if not all of us do. And I was driving in my car, and I was listening to the station I was then on at the time. Then it was AM 720 KDWN. And I heard the morning host, True Hawkins, say these exact words, 
on the morning of 9-11, before any finger-pointing had started about lack of communication or George W. Bush being negligent, the day, the morning it was happening, True Hawkins said, Thank you, liberals, for everyone who died in the Twin Towers today. End quote. And I was so enraged, I grabbed my cell phone, pulled over the side of the road, called the station, asked to speak to my boss, and I specifically asked her, quote, would you fire me if I came over to the station right now and punched True Hawkins right off his friggin' chair? End quote. And she asked me why I was upset, and I told her. She told me she'd take care of it. And make no mistake, my boss was as big a right-winger as True Hawkins was. But what she did was she pulled Hawkins off the air and put the Associated Press feed on instead. A day or so later, my boss told me she wouldn't have fired me if I'd done what I wanted to do. To which I replied, well, why didn't you tell me that that day when I asked you? I would have shot right over and she said, I know, but I couldn't really condone you starting a fight in the station with a host who was on the air. It's like, why? Why not? I mean, not like it'd be the first time. So anyway, she said she brought, she left it a few days so I'd have a chance to cool down. Probably a smart thing to do on her part. But then, get this, that was the same boss that fired me after I gave, or after they gave me the morning drive slot, and I gave her and Kadon the best ratings they had ever had in the morning drive time slot. One of my then colleagues, part-time Pete, he called himself, just a sweet, sweet man. He told me if there, if it were any other station at any other time, I could have written my own check for the kind of ratings I had received. He also told me, that ain't going to happen here. He also told me not to expect a pat on the back and certainly not a raise. So I was kind of prepared when my boss called me into the office. What I did not expect was to be fired. And when I asked her why I was being fired, she said, you spend too much time bashing the president, then George W. Bush. And I said, what do you care? Every other host on this station verbally fellates him all day and all night long. She said, I don't care. I then asked her about the ratings. Again, she didn't care. All she cared about was right-wing ideological propaganda being spewed. And if you haven't noticed, I don't do that. I can't do that. I couldn't do that. But back to Andrew Weissman's point. He said what we have is a deeper problem that has to be addressed in terms of modeling behavior and values we have to instill in people because we're really lost from where we were 22 years ago. I mean, that all sounds good and huggish <laughs> and sweet, but how in the holy hell does that happen? What does it even kind of mean? I mean, we have a certain contingent in this country, a minority, but a very vocal minority, who live in an alternative universe. Why? And that brings us back to what I have said for years is the biggest challenge and problem this country faces. Today's conservative, corporate-controlled, right-wing propaganda, hate media, industrial complex. They are the primary reason we are as divided as we are. 
They made excuses for George W. Bush. They attacked Barack Obama relentlessly, and they defended the indefensible Donald Trump, and still do. And all of his dictatorial inclinations, as well as all of his atrocities and crimes. I don't see a path to instilling the kind of values to which Andrew was referring when these people have allowed themselves to be brainwashed into believing they are the real Americans with real American values. And anyone who doesn't agree with them is an evil traitor who has to be exterminated. There ain't no one going to teach these dead-enders Jack Shisky. Seriously. And again, until something is done with the aforementioned right-wing propaganda hate media industrial complex, I don't see anything changing for the better. I can only see things getting worse, much worse. And that's one complaint I have with the Biden administration. Why in the holy hell would they allow Fox Noise into the White House briefing room? And yes, I know the uproar and pants-wetting and pearl-clutching it would cause. But seriously, Fox Noise is a clear and present danger and existential threat to our democracy. They need to be stopped. And while I'm not exactly sure how to stop them, refusing to grant them entry to the White House might be a good start. Accompanied, of course, by a complete and detailed explanation as to why they were being banned. Something else that might help? I don't know. Perhaps a giant class action lawsuit brought by many of the victims of Fox's lies and propaganda. Dominion voting machines proved it could be done to the tune of almost $1 billion. That was one company, one suit. Cost Fox almost a billion dollars. Now it's up to others to follow suit and exploit that precedent. Yes? 221-7283 is our call-in number here at the station, folks. If you'd like to chat, that's 702-221-SAVE. Former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill was asked if she thought the fight was still fair in the political arena. I don't agree with everything she said, but she did make some great points. I don't know that it's fair, but it's winnable. Hmm. Um, you know, Andrew mentioned Rudy Giuliani. 22 years ago, his approval rating was about 72% in America. A poll taken a few days ago, his approval rating was 16. And who are they? they I'll tell you who they are. They are the calcified epicenter of Trumpism. And I want to, in this somber reflection of what our country went through and how we united after that moment, I want to lay blame clearly and simply at the fact that for the first time in America, we had a leader that had no desire to unite the country. George Bush wanted to unite the country. Uh, sometimes he wanted to do it in ways I disagreed with. Bill Clinton wanted to unite the country. George Bush's father wanted to unite the country. John McCain wanted to unite the country. Joe Biden wants to unite. There's only one outlier here. Donald Trump wanted to drive a wedge of grievance between America's most vaulted institutions and the American people. And that grievance is his political coin of the realm. And it is making people angry 
and cynical, not all Americans. I think most Americans are weighing in on Rudy Giuliani. Exactly right. They want us to get back to a time where it's not all about tribal politics, that we can come together. And I think that's Joe Biden's strongest case for re-election. It's stronger than any policy. It's the ideals of this country. And the extremism cannot prevail. I think we got a lot of challenges around that. But it cannot prevail. And Donald Trump has people that totally have bought in, but it's not the majority of this great country. Okay. So Claire says that the majority of the country wants us to come together politically. That may well be true, but they're not the ones that are making all the noise. Those aren't the ones that control the aforementioned right-wing propaganda, hate media, bubble and echo chamber industrial complex. (gasps) That's not who's in charge. That's not who's sending out the message. So I don't know. But let, let's play along. She said that's Biden's strongest case for re-election, that we need to come together. Okay, say that's true. Where the hell is he? And I would just ask you to imagine, if Donald Trump were president now, and Joe Biden was running to unseat him, and Biden had been impeached two times and indicted four times on 91 counts and found liable for sexual abuse— What do you think Trump would be talking about each and every single day in the White House press brief, press briefing room? All day and all night. He would be using the world's largest microphone and bully pulpit to beat Joe Biden's brains to a bloody pulp on his criminality. Hell, Trump wanted to throw Hillary Clinton in jail after she'd been investigated and exonerated. He still wouldn't stop. If Joe Biden had been impeached twice and indicted four times on 91 counts and found liable for sexual assault, you don't think Trump would be trumpeting this every single day to anyone who would listen to him? Of course he would. So again, I ask, where in the holy hell is Joe Biden? Why isn't he screaming from the rooftops every chance he gets about Trump's two impeachments and four indictments on 91 felony counts and his liability for sexual abuse? I don't know. Maybe it's me. But instead of all this lovey-dovey come-together crap, which ain't going to happen, harp and dwell on the fact that Trump tried to steal an election and the will and votes of the American people by trying to overturn a free and fair election he lost and install himself as a quasi-dictator. That's what I think would be Biden's strongest case for re-election. Not, I'm going to bring the country together, let's hug. Hey, Joe, Maybe you were a minority, but a lot of your supporters don't want to come together with those who support a traitor. Screw them. We're done with them. But I do agree with Claire's last point. These Trump-humping dead-enders are not the majority of the country. But that's why they're taking steps to win, even as a minority, by changing and passing different laws across this country that make it more difficult for Democratic districts to vote and have their votes counted. I agree with Claire that they can't win, but what frightens me is, same thing with Trump, is that they're not going to be willing to lose. 
Up in Wisconsin, the QOP is threatening to impeach a recently elected Supreme Court judge. Why? Because she said she didn't like the QOP gerrymandering. It's a sin. At the same time, they're trying to remove the state's top elections official. They're trying to impeach Bonnie Willis in Georgia. Ron DeSantis got rid of two Democratic prosecutors in Florida. And these aren't outliers, folks. Similar actions are being taken across the country. These QOP nutjobs don't give one continental damn about the rule of law. And the only elections they see as legitimate are the ones they win. Everything else is rigged, stolen. And who do we have to thank for that? Trump and his state-run propaganda ministry, media bubble and echo chamber industrial complex. No welcome. And what do we do to change that? Again, cut the head of the snake off. And the snake is today's right-wing propaganda hate media industrial complex led by Fox Noise. 221-7283 is our call number here at the station, folks. If you'd like to chat, that's 702-221-SAVE. Let's head to the phone lines now, and we'll talk to Lauren. You're first up. Thanks for calling. Hi, Doug. How you doing? I'm doing awful today, Lauren. Thanks for calling. Oh, I'm so, that's right. I heard about, yeah, that's right. I, I, I had food that. poisoning last night, early morning. It's not fun. Yeah, no, I've, I've been there. Um, I, I think the thing that that I see myself is history has repeated itself. Um, I, I grew up uh, in the 60s. Um, we had uh, Students for Demo- Democratic Society. We had the Weather Underground. We had a number of organizations, not just here in the United States, but around the world. I, I was at the Rome Airport when it got blown up. Wow. The week before I got there. You know, so... Um, my, my, my point is this. We have people, uh, and that was the left at that time, and we have people that are dissatisfied um, with the way things are going, and that's always been. I, I, uh, I personally have a problem with always tagging race on top of everything. I don't believe that because you disagree with something that you're, you're necessarily racist. Oh, Lauren, I agree. Um, Lauren, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I know that that is coming from a man that I know deep, deep, deep within my heart is not a racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that, Lauren. You're married to an African American woman. Your children look more like Barack Obama's children than yours. You've told me that on the yeah. air. So I know you're not a racist. I know, I know you're not a racist. Unfortunately, yeah. there are a lot of other people who are, Lauren. But but there have always been people that have differing opinions about race. Right. Back 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 when I was coming up, it was it was the Democrats that wouldn't allow allow black children in school. You know? It was a Republican president that sent down the National Guard to make sure that they got entered into schools in the South. Well, yeah, Lauren, but we so, do Lauren, real quick, we do have to add the caveat that back then that, those weren't the actions of liberals. Those were the actions of Democrats when m- Democrats were the Republicans, and and the other no, was. Oh, you can't. That's you true. Can't say up that. until the civil, I mean, up until the civil rights movement, Lauren. That's the way it was. And once that kicked into high gear, any of the racists in the Democratic Party left and joined the Republican Party. 
Well, I, I don't you know, know about that. that. I mean, Strom Thurmond, never, Strom Thurmond never became a Republican. Strom Thurmond never and became he, neither, he sure as hell did. No, no. I, excuse me. I don't mean him. I mean the guy that was the Grand Klegel for, uh, uh, he was a, in the Senate. Are you talking about Robert, Robert Byrd? Byrd. He Byrd. was always but, a but Democrat. He, 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 uh, yeah, but he was also the Grand Klegel for the KKK. Right. And he, and he, he realized. And he was also a friend of, of Hillary Clinton. But he it was doesn't a friend mean, of, of, Lauren, you know, one, one, of mean, the, one of the pillars of our society is rehabilitation and remorse. Robert Byrd showed that, and he didn't leave the Democratic Party with the other racists in that party to go to the Republican Party. He stayed a Democrat, well, I, and he recanted. I would, have, I would have to check that out as to how many of those Democrats came over to the Republican side. All of them. Um, but my, 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 my whole point is this. Yes, what I is don't your point? Believe that my, my point is, is everything is not about race. Oh, I understand that, but I, I, people, I never made that no, case. No, I, I, I agree, and, and also the, the, this thing that there's, there's homeland terrorists, like, uh, I mean, in, in, in my 71 years, I have only come across one person that I knew was a racist, and he knew I was married to a black woman. Right. And I asked him about that. He says, you're a good guy. You know, he says, I don't have a problem with you. I, I don't agree with, with you marrying, being married to a black woman. But he says, that's not my business. I mean, this is a guy that had a huge iron cross tattooed on his chest. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And used to go to impregnation parties where they would try and, you know, they... <laughs> Impregnate <laughs> these girls. I mean, it was just. I, I, I never attended one of those. I, 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 well, I didn't either, but. <laughs> oh, don't lie, Lauren. Don't lie. You were the grand organizer of those parties. Yeah. But my, my point is this I, 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 I think we, I don't know, you know, and I, I also worked in the intelligence field when I was in the military, and I also used to read the AP and the UPI, and then I used to read the intelligence reports. And it was like day and night. The, the, the mis, this new term, misinformation, uh, that, you know, we like to throw out there and we, we put labels on everything in this society now. You can't have an opinion, you know, your, your opinion is differing. And, and, and so consequently, you're putting out misinformation. Well, right. But I mean, the term misinformation has been around for a long time. The one I think is, is more current or newer is disinformation. And what that is, the deliberate spreading of falsehoods. And that's what our government does all the time. Well, but see, Lauren, what you haven't done thus far. And I know that firsthand. Lauren, (laughs) what, what you haven't done thus far today, and I wish you would, is address what you heard a lot of the people in the sound clips say, that the problem today is extremism and violence on the extreme fringe right. Mm. Agree? Uh, probably, but I don't think it's as big as they try to make it out to be. I really don't. Well, it doesn't... I, mean, I, 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 was, I was stationed in the South, 
and I've been stationed overseas. But see, Lauren, I, I mean, I, but see, Lauren, you're not a racist. You're not a white nationalist. You're not a bigot. You're you're someone who served their country honorably. You're married to a beautiful African American woman. You have a very mm-hmm. ha- glass half full view of things, as opposed and I'm a to glass half empty. <laughs> which I admire to a certain extent, but other times it just irritates me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, you know what I mean. I mean, you're a yeah, positive kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I still think that uh, there, there's there's hope for the country. I, I don't agree with a lot of the name calling. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that's going on. And I, I make I make it a, a point. I, I interact with everybody. What? You know, I, when I'm on the street or if I see you, I you know, I'll ask you how you're doing. And then if you, the conversation goes on, and then I I I find find things in common with people. I don't try to put somebody down because they have a different viewpoint. Oh, I know, Lauren. That's because you're a nice guy. You're you're a friendly guy. Um, the only thing I'd question is, what do you mean you don't like the name calling, you jerk? <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I've never, Lauren. I've never been one. Lauren, you know, you, know like, I'm, you know I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I, I grew up in Hawaii and Vegas. I was I was uh, I was an effing Howley out in Hawaii, even though I, I, I'm, I'm Hawaiian, Tahitian, and Chamorro, and wow. English. Well, wow. well, you know, okay. I've always but, I've always loved Hawaii, but I kind of prefer America, where a lay is a lay and not a silly damn bunch of flowers. Uh, well, I agree. Yeah, you know. But anyway, that's that's my point. I I, I just think that uh, I think that things are, are blown out of proportion. And I, I think your music is on. So yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> and if you and if you, uh, your if your wife were here, I'd ask her to dance. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, Lauren, I gotta yeah, run. You take care of that beautiful I family understand. of yours. Always a pleasure hearing from you. How much time I got, Justin? Right. Fifteen seconds. Oh well, hell, I better wrap it up. Hey, folks, that's it. We are out of time. Probably a rerun tomorrow. I, I'm kind of sick, and I have a speaking engagement. But we'll be back. Full Form Thursday. Take care.